Here at Scotiabank Arena, where tonight the Leafs have the Bruins. The last game ahead of the All-Star break. And A.B. and I have Judd Surratt with us, Bruins play-by-play voice, who is... So we're upstairs in the booth where Joe Bowen actually calls games, and Judd Surratt, a true play-by-play I was man, is say, standing for this hit. Can, can you tell that we're chatting <laughs> with a play-by-play guy? Because we're just sitting here comfy, sitting down, and we pulled up a chair for him. We're like, Judd, go ahead, take a seat. And he sat for about two seconds, and the second that the mic came up, he's like, no, this is uncomfortable. i got to stand. So this is just power pose right now, true play-by-play. I love it. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, first of all, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, But I have always stood to call games, and that goes all the way back to college. It's funny, uh, here in the stands for the morning skate, I saw Cam Stewart, the former Bruin who played a long time in the National Hockey League. Um, He played at the University of Michigan, which is where I went. And I remember when I first started doing games in college at Yost Arena, and they've configured the arena a little bit, but there was this big giant girder that if you sat down, you couldn't even see at the other end. So I would have to stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. And I'm like, enough of that. Let me just stand so I don't have to go through uh, the calisthenics during the course of the game. So... I've stood ever since. Yeah, I, I was the same way because I know we both did a little bit when we were in, in school as well, and I recall having to stand. Even up here when you're looking, like, I don't know, you can't really see everything. You have to peer over a little bit yep. to see the corner sometimes at Scotiabank Arena. It's just it's just what play-by-play guys do. You just feel more comfortable. You can see a little bit more. You feel like you're on top of the ice a bit more. Well, it's a little different since you mentioned that, Mike. So when we were fortunate enough to do the outdoor game at Fenway Park with the Bruins against the Penguins, and what a a phenomenal game that was, uh, we did that rinkside. And the National Hockey League says you can't stand because it's obviously a huge visual event for the National Hockey League. So you sit down. We were basically at the blue line. They will give you a monitor. but You can see what's going on in each corner. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, So... This is the way we did the Lake Tahoe game. So the Bruins were fortunate enough to play in that outdoor game, and that was a phenomenal game. I don't think they will ever do a game like that again Mm. because there were no fans in the stands. Remember, it was COVID. So it was the Bruins and the Flyers in Lake Tahoe, and uh, they put us on the blue line again. And I think you had kind of figured out, okay, if, if the puck is in front of me, obviously I'm fine. But once the puck crosses the red line and it goes, if you drew a line like at the midpoint of the slot to the near boards, that you can't see. That's when you have to look at the monitor. So mm. everything else you can kind of look at live, and then when the puck went into that quadrant of the ice, that's when you had to turn to the monitor. So you couldn't stand for that game. <laughs> that was a little bit different. We were a little cold at the end of the game uh, because, you know, you're in the mountains, and, and obviously the climate is going to change. And if you've skied Throughout at all, day, and I love yeah. to ski, toward the end of the day, as beautiful as it was at the beginning of the day, the sun goes down, the wind starts sweeping down, um, you know, you've got clouds and, and all sorts of uh, storm systems that are creeping in. It starts to get real cold, and you can't stand up, so you're almost kind of like locked in yeah. uh, to that seated position. But those two experiences were absolutely phenomenal. Play-by-play, extreme sport sometimes. <laughs> uh, before we get to hockey, I've got to just get the Boston report from you. What's the what's the buzz like bas- back home with the Tom Brady round two retirement? You, you know what? I, I don't know. I have not heard anything just yet because obviously this morning, like everybody else, I saw that uh, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, is going to retire and call it a career. <sighs> I'm a Colts fan. Um, Come on. Nah, I'm kidding. He's, he's the goat. He's the goat. That's coming from a Colts fan. No, no he worries. Hey, I grew up in Chicago. I'm a long-suffering Bears fan. There you go. But um, I, I, listen, he, he's the greatest that has ever played the game. Yeah. Um, and, and he's been gone now for a number of years, and I, I still get the sense from a lot of Patriots fans 
just how much they miss having him there. Yeah. Uh, because he was still playing at a high level. He led his team into the playoffs. Yep. Um, granted, they weren't very good, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I think that they see that there was an opportunity he didn't have to go. Had they offered him a contract and paid him what he was worth at the time, that maybe there would have been another Super Bowl or maybe another after that uh, in New England. Actually, while we're on the subject of contracts, do you have a pasta update at all? Speaking <laughs> of people who want to hang around Boston for a long time, I heard Emily Kaplan on the point saying that there was conversations going on all the time. Sounds like the Bruins and him are kind of close. I, I have no update. Uh, I think the last that uh, I talked with the general manager, Don Sweeney, uh, of the Boston Bruins, that, listen, they've, they've had conversations for a long time, and they have consistently gone along. But I have not heard any news uh, that there is any breakthrough or a signing is imminent. If you're asking me in my, in my heart of hearts, do I think it's going to get done? I do. I think the question is, what is the number? Mm. Because if you look at just sheer numbers for a guy like David Posternock and then look around the National Hockey League, He's probably worth, it's certainly a double-digit number. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, at first, if you had said at the start of the season, uh, I think we were all thinking, okay, 10. Then you start going, and he's second in the National Hockey League in goals. Uh, he's among the league leaders in points. I think he starts the night fourth in the league in points, tied for third in the league in power play goals. He's been a difference maker every night. He's been absolutely fabulous, and we can delve into that if you want, but... So then we start to think, okay, well, maybe the number is 11, and we can make this release <laughs> eight times. 11, 88. 88. Okay, this is easy. Um, you know, where it's going to land, I, I don't know. And, and you've also got some moving parts. So if you're the general manager, Don Sweeney, I think you've got a couple of things in mind. Well, what's the salary cap going to be at? You know, here we are. You, you've got a league that is that may be impacted by what's going on uh, on the television side, in Bally's, I don't know if everybody's familiar with yeah. that. They own yeah. a number of RSNs. They're, um, they broadcast 12 of the 32 teams around the National Hockey League. And this could impact, I think the, the, the simple way to say it is, this could impact what the salary cap turns out to be yeah. and what the numbers are looking like going forward. Um, so if you're Don Sweeney, you have to keep every dollar in mind. How do we do this? And then the other thing that I think... If you're the general manager of the Bruins or, or anybody else, if you're Kyle Dubas here in Toronto, when you're negotiating a new contract, especially with a big-time player, and, uh, and by the way, David Pasternak is on record saying, I, I don't need to set the bar. I do not need to set the bar. I don't need to exceed Nathan McKinnon. I don't, I don't need to be uh, at that height because I think he just surpassed Connor McDavid if yeah. memory serves. So if you're a GM, and I think what you have to tell your players is, I can give you that number, and I'm sure this conversation is going to take place maybe with uh, Kyle Dubas and Austin Matthews here uh, in in the near future. Absolutely, it will. If I give you that number, that means it's going to make it harder for me to surround you with the pieces that you want to get the Stanley Cup you desire. So what is that number? And I know we're not talking about... Uh, a lot like okay, what's the difference between ten and a half million or eleven and a half million or twelve million dollars? I mean, we're not talking about a huge range, right. but there could be a player or two in there that you add to your group and surround that player with David Pasternak, or in this case, um, in, in the short term future, uh, Austin Matthews. That will get you a Stanley Cup. If you think about the Bruins, um, you know one of the things heading into the season that 
that the GM Don Sweeney was was able to navigate and put together is not only did you bring David Krejci back, but you brought him back for $1 million. Now, you're going to have to pay some bonuses that are involved. You brought back Patrice Bergeron for $2.5 million. Crazy. Plus, he's going to end up making, you know, I think the contract totals out to about $5 million. There's going to be some bonus overages that you're going to have to deal with. But you have a top-two center combination that you have never seen in National Hockey League history since the salary cap was introduced. You've never seen it, and you'll never see it again. A top-two combination making a combined $3.5 million. It's unheard of. And to get that type of production that you're getting from Bergeron, who's headed to the Hall of Fame shortly after he retires, and David Krejci, who is on the verge. He just passed 1,000 games. Uh, He's not far away from 1,000 points. Is this his last season? But but that's the type of of bang for your buck that you're getting uh, because you have a little extra space to work around the margin. So I think that that, to go back to your, your initial question on David Pasternak, no update. But I think that's what the wrangling is about and the wrestling match is about. What is the ultimate number and what's best for you and the team? So with all that, Judd, does this have the the sense or feeling around the organization? Like you're someone who's kind of in there every day. Does this feel like maybe the last dance for for this group that has been together for so long? Like, again, Krejci came back to this team. Uh, you, you had Bergeron, who seemingly seemed like maybe he was about to retire, decided to come back on a one-year contract. Like, does this feel like the last dance for this group? I, I do think that that's a possibility. I think it's a very real possibility. It was brought up, Mike, uh, just before the season started to the president of the team, Cam Neely. Is it, is it fair to say, I think the question was, is it fair to say, is this the last dance for this group? Um, there's still a little bit of the core remaining from the 2011 Stanley Cup team, Marshan, Krejci, and Bergeron. So I, I think that that is fair. But I also think it's, it's fair that there's this big push, not only for, for that core, but I think because they realize this could be the last season for Patrice Bergeron. He's a little bit older uh, than David Krejci. He's, it, it's incredible. Like If you look at the production, um, and oh. if you want to even dive further into the analytics, he's going to win the Selkie again. They're gonna, they should rename oh, the yeah. trophy. Okay. We're with you on that. <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, you know, all due respect to Frank Selke and, and the Selke family, but it should be the Bergeron, yep. at, at least at this point. He's going to make it six in a row, but I think that there is, there is a feeling. I think it is real that, A, this could be the last dance, and, B, we want to win it for that guy. Yeah. We're chatting with Judd Surratt, uh, Bruins Radio, play-by-play voice, got the Bruins and Leafs here on TSN 1050 tonight, puck drop at 7 o'clock, and... You know, Bruins dealing with, I guess... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What time's puck drop? 7.30. It's a weird one. It throws me every time. Broadcast starting at 7, puck drop at 7.30. The only reason I ask is all of a sudden you just made my pregame show a lot longer. (laughs) It's like, whoa, there. Yeah, I don't know why they do that randomly. There'll be a random 7.30 start or 7 o'clock. It it throws me for a whirl sometimes. See, when I was in Chicago, and, you know, I think a lot of the games, so I was with the Blackhawks for a decade, and I I think that there was a feeling, you know, why are the games at 7.30? Like, the writers hated it. You know, this was at the time where they're trying to hit deadlines to get home delivery, you know. Uh, I think that there was a feeling on, and again, the ownership has, has changed there. You know, we're talking about uh, Bill Wirtz, who had owned the team, uh, and then it, was, then it became rocky after Bill passed away. But, you know, the, the whole thing was, well, everybody's finishing work at 5 o'clock, grabbing a steak and a couple of martinis, and then they're heading over to the game, so they need a little extra time. So maybe that's the case here in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the case. Um, but like, like I said, coming into this game, the Bruins, 
little bit of adversity for the first time all year. They've hit their first little mini slump, I believe is what they're kind of calling it here. Three straight losses going into this game. Um, you know, I'm curious, like, if you expect them to be hungry and motivated, not necessarily because, you know, Toronto's on their heels. I, I don't think so. I think the Bruins pretty well, they would say that they don't have it in the bag, but I think we can say they're probably going to end up winning this division. But going into the All-Star break, not wanting to be on a sour note with four straight losses, probably got to be a little motivating for them tonight. Well, Mike, heading into this trip, and if you look across the trip, so the Bruins had a chance to uh, come home after the fourth game in the trip. It started in Montreal, and then it went to Tampa, then you went to Florida, uh, Carolina, went home, unpacked, repacked, come here to Toronto. The way that Jim Montgomery and the team, they were trying to treat it, was a five-game playoff series. Okay, well, we got to win three of five. Unable to do that. So the way that they're looking at tonight's game is they're behind in the series, and they need to be able to rally and come back. They have to find a way to win. If you want to win in the playoffs, you're going to have to win road games. You're going to have to win in some very difficult buildings. So that's the way that they've sort of framed it, along with the fact that there's a few bad habits that have creeped that have crept into their game that they have to start to work out. And I always love going to the captain, Patrice Bergeron, when it comes to that, because the first thing out of his mouth will always be simplify. We've been a little bit too cute. Because we've been too cute, we haven't managed the puck well. Because we haven't managed the puck well, we haven't played with the pace that we like to play with. And if you want to play well against Toronto, you have to manage the puck well, and you have to play with pace. So this Bruins team is being, of course, because they're having such a historic season, being compared to that Tampa team that fell short in the first round of the playoffs versus the Columbus Oh, we were in Montreal. They're talking about 76-77. Oh, wow. Okay, so you know exactly the discourse that's going on around it. Do you think a mini slump like this helps them avoid that fade, or do you think the mentality in that room is such that they that – they just have such a mentality that they go into the postseason uh, with that winning sort of... It's almost like they frame themselves as the underdog, even when they're not mentally. Well, Julie, I think the way to look at it is, I don't think that they care about setting the National Hockey League record as the greatest regular season team of all time. So... Based on the numbers, you know, depending on who you talk to, that's the 76-77 Montreal Canadiens. They went on to win the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, and certainly because we went through Montreal and Tampa, that has come up. But I, I think Brad Marchand had mentioned it, and, you know, and he's talked about this plenty of times. It doesn't matter to them if they've gone through this rampage through the National Hockey League if they're unable to come up with the ultimate goal in the Stanley right. Cup. That's the only thing that matters to them. I do think a little bit of adversity will certainly help them. Um, I, I don't know if, just based on the way that they put together their record prior to these last three games, I don't know if you can call it a slump, but you can speed bump, hurdle. A little stub toe, we like to call Ooh, it. The whatever, oh, that's a good one. Whatever you want to call it, I, I think that's good. Uh, Taylor Hall, when we were talking just before the game, or just here at the morning skate, you know, could you relate it to fatigue? Yes. Um, you know, I also think that there's a few bad habits that have crept into their game that they're going to need to be able to work out. And this is a variety of things. You know, we talk about puck management and pace and simplicity. The power play has gone 0 for its last 12. Yeah. Yeah. And the power play has had a chance here in the last couple of games to make a difference, and it hasn't. You know, if you look at the trip in particular, all right, they went in Montreal. Uh, I thought that the goaltender was going to steal that game. In Tampa, that game could have gone either way. They did end up making uh, a key mistake with about seven minutes remaining as Tampa kind of sped up the ice, and then Brandon Carlo backed into Lena Solmark, 
took his feet out, and Victor Hedman from deep, uh, like on the left hash, fired it basically into an empty net. That was the game winner. I thought Andre Vasilevsky was the difference in that game. But the power play in that game was a 2-2 game. Um, it was early in the third period. Bruins went on the man advantage, didn't get a single shot on that. Mm. You move into Florida. That was the game that the Bruins needed to win. They absolutely needed to win. They didn't play that well, but they had a lead. They led 3-2 after David Pasternak scored with about 48, 49 seconds left in the third period. That's a game that you had to bank the two points. But you could sense there was greater desperation coming from Florida. Their their season's on the brink. If you just look at the pure math, they've got... They've played too many games at this point, and they haven't gotten the results. They absolutely had to win that game to try and stay in the race in the Eastern Conference. That's the game the Bruins needed. I think heading into the game uh, in Carolina, you knew that was going to be tough. Back-to-back game, you had to travel. uh, Game time an hour earlier uh, against a team you had beaten in Boston earlier this season, and there's a hatred that, that is definitely palpable between those two teams because of the playoff series. They played one another three times here in recent memory um, here in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that one was going to be tough. The Florida game was what they needed. Let's see how the Bruins execute here tonight. I think that they would like to go into the break uh, with a good feeling, uh, just like every other team around the National Hockey League. But listen, Carolina's not that far behind them, and I know you say, that you think the division might be wrapped up. I don't think that the Bruins necessarily think that way. I don't think that they're focused on that. Yeah. I, I think that certainly from a mathematical perspective, this game has a lot more importance to Toronto than it does to the Bruins. Yeah, I think I looked at it today. They have like a 94% or 95% chance to win the division. It's not 100 it's not 100, it's but not it's 100. a very strong <laughs> odds to win the division. Uh, we're chatting with Judd Surratt, Bruins play-by-play voice. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Linus Allmark because like, that, that's a guy who I don't think anybody expected to see him in the Vesna conversation heading into the year. Maybe it was different in Boston, but I know that I certainly wasn't saying that coming into the season. I was expecting a tandem with him and Swayman, and then next thing you know, we're here at the All-Star break, and this guy's by far and away the candidate for the Vesna. Oh, he, he's been spectacular. So there's a lot of things to go with with a guy like Lena Solmark. Um, I think you can trace a lot of his success this year to the comfort level he has in Boston that maybe he didn't have last year. He spent his entire career with the Buffalo Sabres, certainly a different organization with a different core. They're trying to figure it out. So he comes to Boston. You've got a guy, you've got uh, a number of guys who've won a Stanley Cup, a great leadership core, an established organization um, that is going to be a contender for the Stanley Cup. So I, I think for him it was sort of getting used to how he needed to play, how they play in front of him, what is expected. But I think also off the ice, he's much more settled. He's got a young family. Uh, he had mentioned earlier this season that um, so he originally got a house uh, in one suburb, and it didn't work out. He moved to another house, um, and I think that that was one of the things that also helped him. I think they were having a uh, – anybody who owns an old house, and there are certainly plenty of those in, in, in New England, uh, I think there were a number of issues with the house that just oh. made it a little bit harder. Um, <laughs> you know, and it just – these are distractions. I, I think most guys, if you talk about on the ice – the first time, you know, if, if you see something going on on the ice where, hey, why is that guy not playing to his capabilities? I think the first thing a lot of smart coaches will do is, what's going on at home? How's everything? Uh, and for Linus, it was getting all that stuff straightened out, coming to a new organization, getting home straightened out, be- 
becoming comfortable. And because of that, he and I had a conversation in Los Angeles. I said, okay, because you're a much more calm and comfortable goaltender, how does that translate on the ice? He's like, think about it another way. You know, if you have a, an edgy, all-over-the-place goaltender, that usually doesn't, that doesn't give your team a whole lot of confidence, and sometimes you don't stop as many pucks. So he's been able to harness that. He's played, he's tried to, not only has he played calmly, he's tried to project that calm. And, and B, when all of a sudden the Bruins need a big save or they need him to come up in a big moment, he has been able to not only make that save but project that type of confidence. I, I, I think, listen, Linus is having a phenomenal season. Uh, congratulations to him. He's going to be heading to the All-Star game for the first time. He, he said, I never even thought about making the NHL when I was growing up in Sweden. Oh. I was just hoping to play for my club team wow. in my town. Yeah. Um, he would tape the game. Uh, that would be, he said it was the only thing that we would tape on our VCR back in the day when I was a kid, and so I had a chance to watch those games. But it, he's had a phenomenal season. Um, but if you look across the Bruins roster, because we get asked all the time, why are they, you know, why are they doing what they're doing? Everybody is incrementally better. Um, whether it's Lena Solmark, who's up for the uh, up for the Vesna, you look at David Pasternak, who's certainly going to be in the conversation for the Hart Trophy. He has to be oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. at this point for what he's put together. He's been better. David Krejci's come back. That was the big difference for the Bruins. So last year was a 51-win team. They didn't have a second-line center. Now they got one back, and it's a guy who is familiar with everybody and has won a Stanley Cup. Right. But his numbers, if you look at his numbers now versus when he last played in the National Hockey League, his numbers are up. Taylor Hall's numbers are up. Jake DeBrusque, who's injured, he's been consistent from the start of the season to the end of the season. He scored two goals. He scored both goals outside Fenway Park with a broken hand and a broken leg. Insane. Uh, Just legendary. But everybody's a little bit better. Former Leaf Nick Foligno, his play is amped up. Brandon Carlo's a little bit better. Hampus Lindholm, who he didn't have for the entire season, his play has been elevated. So look up and down the roster and then add those things up, and you've got the record that the Bruins have. Yeah, so everyone elevating just a little bit. But one of the most impressive things about the Bruins to me always is the harmony in that locker room and the way they work like a well-oiled machine. So when you look ahead to the trade deadline on March 3rd, we, we had Dave Poulin on our morning show earlier this week. Who do you think the Bruins should get? Well, he mentioned that just no being one, careful. Or, because you don't want to ruin the harmony <laughs> in the room. Do you subscribe to that? And how cautious do the Bruins have to be when they're looking at? Well, I think, you know, I think every team that considers itself a contender around the National Hockey League, whether it's the Bruins, the Leafs, the Lightning, you know, we can go out to the West where it's kind of a dog's breakfast if, yeah. you, if you sort of look out there. I don't think anybody wants to upset what they have in the room. So usually you'll see that trades are, are not made off the roster. They're made from picks or prospects or any of that stuff. That, that's, that I think, is the common thread. So I would expect that if the Bruins are going to add, and I do expect them to add, I think that they're all in going back to here. Is this the last dance? I think it could very well be. Well, in that case, push your chips to the middle. Here we go. Um, you know, I don't think you want to go crazy. But well, the there si- were the reports of Bo Horvat, like that there was interest and right. talks escalating. Like there was always reports well, it, there. But. Well, that's also, a tr- you know, it, just going back to Bo Horvat in particular. So, okay, if Bergeron and Krejci, if this is their last season, and that's certainly a possibility, you need a center. Now, they locked up Pavel Zaka with an eye toward, okay, well, we need someone to play the middle. He's played the wing for the most part this year, but he's a guy who can slide into the middle. So a guy like Bo Horvat made sense in a number of 
areas for the Bruins. Not only a pickup to fortify them, but also someone that they could have going forward. A former captain in the league. You know, it's still mind-boggling to me what Vancouver has done in that situation with Bo Horvat. But that's obviously for a completely different segment. Um, you know, and, and if you also look at Don Sweeney's track record, he's he's acquired guys and then signed them to long-term contracts. Just go back to Hampus Lindholm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Taylor Hall. So... You know, if you're asking, what do I think the Bruins are going to add? I, I don't think that they're going to take away anything from the room to get what they want. Um, I, I think that they'll use their picks, their prospects, whatever they can in their system to try and net them what they can. Um, you know, like everybody, I think, can can you bolster the back end? Can you find someone in your top nine uh, to make you a little bit stronger? I think that there are two names, to me, that are sort of intriguing um, that the Bruins faced in 2019 in St. Louis, and that's Oscar Sundquist, who's now in Detroit, and then Ivan Barbashev, who's in St. Louis. So those are two guys who have some versatility, some flexibility that could add some to the Bruins. The other thing, if you're looking especially up front for the Bruins, they don't have a lot of right sticks. Mm. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if they found someone who was a right shot to come in. Well, Judd, really appreciate taking the time. It was a blast to uh, to chat with you, and hopefully we can do it again. Uh, have a great call tonight, and uh, enjoy the game. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, anytime. There he is, 